This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. It wasn't a rock. All right, and that's exactly what's sitting in front of me is some lobster. Josh Capon. Wait a second. (laughs) I see what you did there. Josh Capon is in the house, man. Chef extraordinaire, uh, four time champion of Rachel Ray's annual Burger Bash competition. Six Six times. I lost count. I was there for one of them. That's all that counts. Uh, Executive chef partner behind Laura Fish Bar, B&B Wine Pub, El Toro Blanco. Have I left out anything? There's so much. Bowery Meat Company. God. Bistro Leo. Do you sleep at all? Do I sleep at all? I do, actually. I'm not going to lie. I get seven solid hours of sleep at night. I can't function you. without that's seven why, that's hours. That's why you do it all. I have an amazing wife, and she knows that without seven hours, I am a meatball. Yeah. Well, you're not a meatball right now. I'm not a meatball. Well, I'm a lobster and, roll. And speaking <laughs> of... Your various culinary adventures. I really like the rock lobster intro, by the way. <laughs> no. I, didn't, I didn't see that I, we, coming. That's I was our not producer. We have Paul the best Brennan. producer in the that's business. Very cool. He that's nails very it. Cool. Uh, two oyster bar concessions right here on the ground. We so are here at the that. U.S. Open, yeah. and I got to tell you, if you're not here, you are in the wrong place. I, I, I am a spiritual guy in the sense that sometimes you just know where you're supposed to be and when you're supposed to be there. And right now. The whole world should be at the U.S. Open. Yeah, it's, I mean, the like- sun is shining. It's such a glorious day. The grounds are beautiful. The tennis is great. And it's just, it's, just, it's just a place to be. And obviously, I'm a food guy. And I don't think I've eaten the same thing twice since I've been here. And I've been here since Monday every day. And to that point, it feels like the National Tennis Center, the U.S. Open, USDA... They've sort of upped the ante on Listen, the food, they, right? They, they up the ante every year, and that's what makes it an incredible event year after year. Um, you know, Danny Zausner and Chris Dudley and Ed Brown, who to me are the top three dogs around here. Yeah. Aside, from, aside from the actual tennis we players. With Danny. Yeah, Danny. Yeah. Aside from the actual tennis players that are on the court, those three are the guys that are really responsible for making all the magic happen. And I think it's really important that they take, you know, to reinvent yourselves. And what can we do to make it bigger and better every year? Um, you know, you can always bring back good people. They're bringing in new chefs every year. They, they say to me every year, what are you going to add to the menu? What are you going to tweak? Because the, 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 the magic of the Open, aside from the tennis, the magic from the Open is the amount of time that people come and spend here. Yeah. You go to a football game, you're there for three hours. You go to a baseball game, you're there for three hours. That's the average duration for a sporting event. You know, one of my best friends came here. He drove up from Philly. He drove up at 9 a.m. from Philly yesterday. He got here at eleven. He was here to eleven. He was here for twelve hours with his two kids, yeah. and they had the most amazing day. They bought Arthur Ashe, you know, tickets by day, and the rest of the night they saw Coco. And it's all—I always say—it's all about the outer courts, yeah. Because that, to me, especially with kids, that's where you could really see the magic. We I mean, walked in. We saw Coco. We saw yep. um, Rafa. Rafa. Yep. We saw. It was unbelievable. Yep. Just coming in. And when you see the match on the little court, for for a kid to see how fast they're actually yeah. hitting the ball. And to really appreciate that is an amazing thing. So, is it true? And I'm putting myself out there. It's a lie, I'd say. It's a lie. They're all lies. Did you actually feed lobster to Kobe? Who's Kobe? You know, Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant. Is it true? Who stopped by and chatted with us. Kobe's the best. Um, I'm going to be totally honest with you. Kobe Bryant comes to Barry Meat Company almost every time he's in town. He's extremely loyal. He's extremely appreciative. And we take very good care of him. And and, and he enjoys himself. He was at Barry Meat Company on Wednesday night. 
and he had a great dinner, and I heard him talking about the Open. I said, are you going to be at the Open tomorrow? He said, yes, I am. I said, do you like lobster rolls? He goes, yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I'll tell you what, Kobe, you tell me where and when, and I will personally hand deliver the best lobster rolls you've ever had in your entire life, and whatever you need. And, and he texted me a little bit early, later the next afternoon, and he was very polite. He was very, very sweet because, you know, if Kobe asked me for 200 lobster rolls, I would deliver 200 lobster right. rolls. He said, would it be okay if, if we asked for six lobster rolls? And I said, well, Kobe, if you asked for 60, I'd say he's 60. Right. So let's just call it 12 and make sure everybody's happy. Right. And I brought him up to a suite. And, like, look, you know, yes. So the answer to your question is yes. <laughs> he was very appreciative. He enjoyed a lobster roll. I brought, I brought enough for everybody, as I always do. Um, but, you know, this is the kind of food that you want to be eating at the open. Right. And, and if it's not, totally. this is something else. But to me, when you're walking around on a gorgeous day like this at the end of summer, it is a lobster that you want to face. And, and I'm going to insist. I know we're on radio. Oh, okay? my God. So I'm going to paint a picture for you guys. Here I am. I'm sitting at the open. There's people around. We're in this shady tree. we got ESPN right behind us. But I'm sitting with two lovely people from Bluebird Radio who I just put down a little bowl of a shrimp ceviche, oh, which picture a nice shrimp cocktail love tossed in a spicy, if you will, Mexican cocktail sauce with some diced jalapeno and tomato and red onion. It's got a little Tabasco in there, a lot of lime juice. So they are now going to each pick up a fork and poke one of those shrimp, which they're literally doing. Yep. And they're going to eat one of those shrimp, and then they're going to just take a moment and savor it. Oh, can you feel it? So good. If I had a margarita or a cold beer, I'd give it to you, but I don't. Oh, my God. Where's the margarita? I apologize. I apologize. But that's, I mean, that's what you want to be eating here. It's got some zip. It's got that a little bit of zip. It's so good. It keeps you light on your feet. You know, maybe a little bit later, you hit Benjamin Steakhouse, you go for lunch at Aces, but this is. Can, can this, I just say, this lobster roll is like. Un- just poke it, the lobster. You don't have to pick up the whole thing. Just get some of that lobster salad if you want. And I'll bring you guys a couple more later. There you go. Punch it. Yep. Now shove that in your mouth. <laughs> She is now eating a huge mouthful of lobster. It's all over her face. It's the most huge. incredible thing I've ever seen. Yeah. But this is what you want to be eating, right? I mean, I got to tell you, Levy, Levy restaurants, they do an unbelievable job helping us, all the chefs, help prepare all the stuff. But we're talking, we're talking big volume here, people. Yeah. All right. Josh Capon is executive chef. Thank you Lure so much. Fish bar. It's over? It's over. I Come know. Come on. We were just getting warmed up. I what know. I, now I got to go back in the kitchen and actually cook for the 800,000 people <laughs> that are like, where are my lobster rolls? Exactly. I will say it again. If you have not been to the open... Get your butt to the open. And another <laughs> special thing about the oven, everybody comes here year after year, and you rem- they remember faces. Yeah. You know, I had a buddy of mine eating at Aces for lunch yesterday, for dinner yesterday, and I said to the server, bring him dessert. And she looked at me, she goes, no, his daughter is allergic to nuts, and wow. I learned that lesson they 11 remembered. years ago That's amazing. when I first served them, and I've watched her grow up. I love that. That's what the magic of the open. Josh Capon, thank you so much. Listen, I have a match on the court. I have a fierce two-handed backhand, and i got to go warm up. All right. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Coming up, we are going to hear from Kobe Bryant. We're going to stuff our faces. Uh, In the meantime, Bloomberg Business Week, (laughs) live at the U.S. Open. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio. All right. Well, it is wide open to some extent here at the U.S. Open, although it's pretty crowded uh, in a very good way. A lot of people enjoying themselves. And, you know, Carol, I think almost every day, especially sitting next to you, you have a pretty cool job. You have a pretty cool job. We're out here talking to some really interesting people. Elizabeth O'Brien over at IBM, she's got a pretty cool job, too. I mean, she's hanging out here with us at the U.S. Open. Great to see you again. Good to Uh, see you. Program Director of Worldwide Sponsorship and Entertainment Partnership. So, Part of your job is helping the fan experience, helping the athlete experience. You do this across tennis, golf, some of the uh, entertainment portfolio as well. Take us inside. What's the technology underneath all of this for both fans and players? Oh, well, the technology is pretty robust. So we have you know everything from the infrastructure that supports all the experiences to the front end of those experiences. So you know at the U.S. Open, it's the, it's the website, it's the app. 
Um, it's, you know, experiences on the grounds. Um, and this year we're extending those experiences past fans to address coaches and players yeah. as well. Tell us about Coach Advisor. <clears throat> so Coach Advisor is a new solution built on the same kind of technology we've used for the fan experience and for creating AI highlights. Um, to we've, we've developed two brand new metrics um, to measure players' energy systems. And we're using AI and video to analyze players while they're playing and analyze how they're how they're conserving their energy and how they're spending their energy. That's pretty cool. All right, so when you look at that, what sorts of things are you finding either about individual players or players in the aggregate? Well, we're finding... <laughs> there's a, I'm trying to think of how to answer that in a short, yeah. short soundbite here, but um, we're finding a lot of interesting things. First of all, we're finding that um, coaches and players are really interested because we're measuring something that has never been quantifiable before. So we're actually backing up intuition with data. Right. Um, and we're finding... Because you're... Sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. essentially you are trying to quantify like how they're feeling, right? And yes. how they're performing exactly. ultimately. Exactly. Yeah. So coaches have told us when their players come off the court, they say, how do you feel? And they say, ah, you know, I feel great. And oftentimes that's um, adrenaline, yeah. right? Or no one wants yeah. to say I feel terrible, right? But they actually say, you know, they can look at patterns and they can look at patterns of play and they can say, you actually, this data shows that you are exerting yourself with this pattern of play and you're depleting your energy. Mm. So let's practice other patterns in training and let's allow more time between matches or between tournaments. Let's adjust your schedule and let's adjust your recovery regimen as well. Interesting. Well, and I was thinking about this as I was watching some of the players because I was thinking towards the end, you know, of the match, they've got to be exhausted. What's different, the, what's different though, um, Elizabeth, about where coaches would sit down with their players and watch videos, right, mm -hmm. after they played versus what you guys are doing? Well, so they still use video, right? So we're using traditional tennis stats, we're using video, um, but we're using a new metric as well. And so it's really putting those three things together that makes the difference. And using AI, we can index the video so we can see where players are exerting themselves the most or where they're staying within their comfort zone and we can go to those spots and go right to the video that that um that that is associated with that moment mm -hmm. in time so if you're looking for exertions you can just look at the exertions rather than scrubbing through video and trying to find those moments yourself all right let's talk a little right, bit about that's really time consuming yes. right if you're going through it yeah all right so let's talk a little bit about the fans because there are a lot of them here as we've been talking about the weather doesn't hurt you know Friday before Labor Day, people tend to uh, want to do something fun, and a lot of them are choosing to be here. What's different about this year in terms of what fans are experiencing? Because we visited with you last year, and you were talking a lot about the app. Uh, what's new and different this time? So we've evolved AI highlights. So it's you know it's a solution that we introduced a couple of years ago, and we've just we basically evolved the. Um, we're using sound now to detect to detect the beginning and end of points, uh. so we can actually so um, you know the the. Basically, the, the content that we're serving up is just that much more precise, right? So there are a lot of tweaks. What does that mean? Wait, wait. Explain that. So using sound yeah. to kind of show the beginning and end of points. Right. Exactly. So, you know, we have people in the stands at the slams who say, you know, okay, the point's beginning, the point's ending. But when we're looking for highlights, you know, we don't, people don't really want to watch the highlight of the players sort of pacing back and forth before right. they serve or, you know, getting the balls from the ball boy after they serve. So we can actually slim those down oh, um, okay. and focus much more on just the part that people want to see. Based on the sounds the that essentially the computer is hearing that indicate you can teach it to sort of hear what yes. constitutes the beginning yes. uh, and the end of a point. Wow, yes. that's really interesting. Yep. And so have you been surprised at all in terms of the way that fans, 
use the the app or sort of what the parts of the app they gravitate the the most to? How are they using it? Well, so we'll have to see. It. You know, we're doing metrics every day, sure, um, constantly. But what I've noticed over time is that people are spending more time on the app, yeah, which is actually hopefully a good thing, right? Yeah. Because they ha- they're having better experiences, it's more immersive, and they're enjoying themselves and really going into sort of all the detail within the app rather than just sort of seeing the scores and moving on. Right. And I actually think this is the kind of event, because I was like watching a match and I was started looking, you know, at the different players, their backgrounds. I want to know some of the stats. Like I can see how you can just kind of jump from one thing to the next. Right. So building out the content, right? right. Yeah. Um, Because I was thinking of these guys behind us, right? Because they've been programming. And I don't know if that's some of the content that you guys are also utilizing. So we work with the same team. So it's USTA editorial team, right? And so they're doing that show. Um, Because that's a new thing this year. It is a new thing this year. And the highlights that we're developing are really to serve the editorial team to help help them push out content in a timely manner, Mm -hmm. right? And so if we can help them push better content out in a timely manner and put it together with all of their programming... Um, is better for the USCA and ultimately better for the fans. Well, and it sounds like, and we talked with Ken Solomon, the, the president of Tennis Channel yesterday, and he was telling us the the desire for more and more information on the part of the fan hasn't changed. It's always been insatiable, but your ability to essentially deliver it, to, to feed more to them, and maybe more precisely, that has changed, and you're continuing to refine that, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, I mean, I find that um, you know one of the challenges we face is more data is just more data, sure. right? If you make it consumable and you make it meaningful, right. um, that's when you actually make a real difference. Right? Yeah. So instead of sort of piling more information on AI highlights, let's make them more consumable and meaningful to people. Let's, you know, when we develop new metrics for coaches, let's make that contextual for them so that they can actually use it instead of working on 10 new metrics. Let's focus on two that are meaningful. Elizabeth O'Brien, Program Director of Worldwide Sponsorship and Entertainment Partnerships for IBM. She's here with us on site at the U.S. Open. Have a great tournament. Great to visit with you. Thanks for having me. Anyone for tennis so look around us. Uh, I know you're on radio, but let me just paint the scene. There are lots of people, gorgeous weather, tons of revenue streams all around us. And our next guest, guest knows plenty about that. We're so happy to have back with us uh, here at the Open. Lou Cher, he's chief revenue officer at the USTA, um, on the business of the U.S. Open because it is big business. It's a lot of fun, but there's a lot of business here. It, it sure is a big business, and, and it. The business is built off the fan experience, right? It, it wouldn't be big if we didn't have so many fans out here enjoying themselves. But uh, but when you talk about the USTA and the U.S. Open, it's always important to note that uh, we are a nonprofit. We are a mission-based organization. The proceeds off of this event are invested back into growing participation, and that's not because right. we have a stake in court construction or kids sale, programs, sale of equipment. Right? It's kids' programs, school programs, adult leagues, senior tennis, all of those things. Um, to try to help, you know, people achieve healthy, active lifestyles. And, and tennis is, is a great way to do that. So Josh Capon, the chef, yes. heard of him. Uh, he was back. He, he was here with us in the seat you are uh, just a little while ago. And he was talking about how, I mean, this is the way I took it, at least. Keep me honest, Carol. That you guys, in a very good way, are always sort of pushing and saying, like, how do we up the ante? How do we up mm-hmm. the ante with food? How do we up the ante with merchandise? How do we up the ante with the overall experience? That sounds like a little bit of art, but also some science. How do you, what, what's underneath sort of what you decide to kind of push on? It's a terrific question. And I think for us, there are two things that we're always very conscious of. One is balancing our, our commercial right. aspirations 
with our our mission which means we need to make sure that anyone who could potentially be inspired to want to play and come to this event in order to do that has access. So we're always sort of balancing the very, very high-end premium experiences with making sure that the event is accessible for anyone who could potentially come out. And at the same time, we're always looking to elevate the experience, more so than any other sporting event, certainly any that I've been a part of. Um, our fans are here. It's a festival atmosphere. They're here for eight or nine hours yeah. when they come out. It's not park your car, run into the That's arena, true. jump out on the concourse, go back to your seat, go home. They're here for eight or nine hours. Half of that time is spent watching the competition. The other half of the time is dining, shopping, drinking, people watching, engaging in sponsor activation. So we've got a 42-acre campus. We leverage it fully. Um, and whereas maybe other sports are concerned about how they compete, with their TV product, mm-hmm. that's not our concern. Our concern is continuing to invest in the experience away from the court. The athletes take care of what's on the court. I have to say, too, I loved, like, when we came in the gates this morning, it's just kids everywhere, yes. and it really is a family event. Absolutely. We, we cater to families. Uh, our reason for being is to get kids to play. Right. We, 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 we structure this event in a way, or the grounds in a way, to, to make sure that kids can be entertained. Uh, and enjoy themselves, mm-hmm. and that's incredible, incredibly important to us. We have a, a kid zone uh, presented by Emirates Airline, and the American Express fan experience are very much geared towards kids. You will see that change a little bit when we get into week two. Right. The kids go back to school here in the local uh-huh. area. The tennis tends to be at night, and it becomes a more corporate crowd. But but uh, for this week and, and our Fan Week Festival, which you may be familiar with, that, that took place the week prior, it was all about kids mm-hmm. and, and right. making sure they could get up close to these great athletes, which you wouldn't have the opportunity to do at any other sporting event. I do wonder, this is also unique in the sense that all of this is about essentially two weeks a year, three weeks a year total. Total. You know, and so when you think about investing in this physical site, when you think about your negotiations, your conversations with sponsors, how does that change, if if at all, how you think about it? Because it's kind of one shot. It's not every Sunday, or it's not, you know, 162 sure. games. It, it has um, an unbelievable implication for our operation. So, so you're here and you see these buildings, and they're beautiful and they're permanent, but the reality is we are a circus that comes to town for, for three weeks. Right. We have to identify, hire, train 7,000 workers for a three-week job. Hope some of them can come back the next year, so the training is a little less. But but that's a huge burden. Uh, all of these facilities have to be reopened and prepped, the restaurants, the concessions, for a short window of time, and then we go. But we do this every year. We know what we're doing. We do it pretty well. From a, a sponsor standpoint, from a broadcast standpoint, the other piece of it is the scale in that three weeks is comparable to any professional sports franchise that you would see. So last year we had north of 800,000 fans in that period of time. That's more than the Knicks would do in yeah. a season. That's more than an NFL team. That's more than an NHL team. Baseball's a little different with all the games. Just in a more concentrated yeah. period. We're more like an Olympics. Mm-hmm. We're more like a World Cup. Athletes from around the world. Well, it's pretty impressive. I mean, there's just so much going on. Lou, great to catch up with you. Thank you so much. Oh, it's a pleasure. We love having you out every year. We love coming. Lou Sher, he's Chief Revenue Officer of the United States Tennis Association, of course, live on site with us right here at the U.S. Open. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. One of the cool things about the U.S. Open is the people that come here, and that includes none other than Kobe Bryant. Listen to what he had to say. 
So what brings you uh, to the U.S. Open? Well, a couple things. It's always kind of been like a bucket list of mine to come to the U.S. Open. Is this your first time? This is my first time. Wow. This is my first time. Okay. And, uh, and then on top of that, we're, we're releasing our second novel right. called Legacy and the Queen, which is a tennis novel. And so uh, Naomi's been very active in helping us sell it and, and pitch it. And, and uh, obviously, it's good to see Roger and catch up with Novak and some of these guys that I've, that I've, that I've known and seen in passing. But yeah. it's, it's good to be here. So talk to us about that because... You know what it's like to be at the top of your game. Yeah. Obviously, you're seeing one of the most incredible moments in tennis, it feels like, right now with the big three on the men's side and also this crop of youth. You mentioned Naomi Osaka coming up. What do you make of the sport right now? You're a fan. You're a player. What do you, what do you see? I think it's a beautiful place for the sport to be. Right? You don't want to be in a position where you have you know, the legacy players um, you know, uh, towards closer towards the end of their career and not have anything else that follows after you know and i think it's a testament to their greatness that they've been able to inspire this next generation because they've all watched them growing up mm-hmm. right and they've been inspired by them so you see some of the same demeanor some of the same and shots they try to them. hit and they're now playing them so it's, it's, cool. it's a perfect place for us for us as fans to be and, and watch this kind of transition Kobe, I want to ask you, too, speaking of transitions, and we want to talk a little bit more about tennis, but you have gone through transition, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I love that you're an author. Uh, I was reading somewhere that you kind of knew it was time to go, that you were thinking a lot about storytelling. Yeah. Have you always been a writer? I have. I've been practicing writing. I started writing my junior year in high school. And when I got to the NBA, you know, there's a lot of downtime and travel and hotels and things of that sort. So I would just write. And a lot of the things that I, that I used to write were just ads. I would write advertisements. I had an ad agency that I founded, and yeah. we did a lot of work, won some, some awards for being a small agency. And then when I retired, it was like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? Well, I don't know. I enjoy writing, and uh, I'll write a film. So I wrote Dear Basketball, yeah. and, and uh, was very fortunate for that to be successful, and then just continued on. And so when you think about the creative process, we're in a time, you know, speaking of an inflection point where content takes so many forms. You've got a podcast uh, launching tomorrow. How do you think about the different media and what goes where and when and how? Yeah, it has to make sense to the story. right, so I'll give you an example. The Punies. The Punies idea was about having two announcers, Clark and Kimberly, be your lens into the world. So I I said, imagine a world where we had no television. You know, radio was it. Right, and the announcers played the role in describe, describing the weather, the circumstance, yeah. the, right, the look on the kid's face, and all this. So that has to be a podcast. So I took the two announcers; they are describing the action, and then I created the characters that go out and play every single weekend. And they call themselves the Good Old Gang, the yeah. GOGs. Yeah, and there are no coaches, and there are no parents in the show. It's kids supporting each other and then learning life lessons from each other. And uh, it's fun. It's just a good old time. Well, what and how is it different from what you know? How many years you played in the NBA? I mean, what are you learning kind of about yourself in doing this? Well, how, how much I enjoy um, teaching and like passing on information to the next generation. It, it feels much, much better than any championship that can be won because it, it's 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 more lasting. Right. If I can do something that inspires a kid in some way or it gets the kid to view something differently in some way. And then he goes through his life, she goes through her life, and then in turn they inspire someone else. 
you create this domino effect that is far greater than any championship that can be won. Mm-hmm. Huge that's impact, fun. right? Huge, 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 huge. Yeah. You've got to have people coming at you all the time with big <laughs> business ideas, invest in this company, back my startup, be on my board, whatever it is. What's your process for sort of assessing that? How do you make your choices? Well, I, I have a few companies. So I, I have the um, uh, Mamba Sports Academy, which is 100 square foot facility out in Thousand Oaks, California, which is for athletes to mm-hmm. train and get better and all these things. And I have the Bryant Steibel Group, which mm-hmm. is an investment group. Uh, the company that I founded is actually right down the street from here called Body Armor. We yeah. just signed Naomi Osaka. Um, but my process is pretty clear. Like I, I, I get to know the entrepreneur and see how passionate they are about what it is that they're doing. And is, is this a business I understand? Is it a business that I can support? You kind of go through various factors and then decide then to jump in. You know, one thing I want to ask you about, and I guess it's kind of near and dear to both of us, but we think about equality in sports. And we've been talking, we were here yesterday at the Open, about how tennis seems to have figured it out, mm-hmm. but a lot of other sports haven't. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. And that's probably like, I won't say probably, it is our mission uh, to do something about that. I mean, I have four girls. Uh, you know, and the first two are definitely athletes. Mm-hmm. The third one and the fourth one, we'll see, is still too young. But if I had to bet, I'd say they'd be athletes as well. Right. So it's important to fight for that and make sure that when they come of age that they are ready to get equal pay, right, and fight for what it is that they deserve. Why, it's, why has it been such a struggle, do you think? That's a great question. I do not know. Yeah. It's like, it's like there, there's a lack of investment. You know, I, mm-hmm. I tell you, like, like in basketball, for example, in WNBA, I said, okay, well, the WNBA is not as popular as the NBA. Okay, well, I can remember the NBA when it first started. And I remember some companies putting a lot of money behind marketing players. Yeah. And through marketing those players, the popularity of the game picked up. You guys are sitting here and saying, okay, you're waiting for the WNBA to become popular. Well, we're waiting on the investment. Right. (laughs) <laughs> from corporations to start telling the stories of some of these young women That's that have point. unbelievable stories, right. yeah. unbelievable inspirational stories to tell, and they're not being told. Why? Right? And so we're, we're, we're going to get there. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of stories, Legacy and the Queen is the book. It's out September 3rd. Andy Matthews About a tennis player. is the author. You're That's the right. author. You're That's behind right. it all. It's part of the new uh, Kobe Bryant Empire podcast launching tomorrow. You're a busy guy. We really appreciate you spending some time with Thank us. Thank you, man. appreciate it. Thank all you for right. having me. All right, that's Kobe Bryant. He stopped by our little studio here at the U.S. Open. Great to catch up with him. He's got a lot going on, as we talked about. Very gracious, and it was really interesting to talk not only about his book, his podcast, tennis, but everything else that's kind of going on in the world of sports. You are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Carol Masser, Jason Kelly, and this is Bloomberg Radio. Jason Kelly and Carol Masser here with you. And John Wertheim uh, back with us. He is executive editor over at Sports Illustrated. And I love reading his stuff. Even just reading his mailbag is amazing. Uh, John, welcome back. Thanks so much for being with us. Oh, good to be here. All right. So I have so many questions for you. And one one of the things that's top of mind for me, I think it was one of the top of mind for your fans out there. Coco Goff, talk to me. I watched it last night. What an amazing performance. Amazing performance. I, I feel a little, uh, I feel like we need to be a little bit measured. Yeah. It's like a hot stock, yes. uh, except he's 15 years old. No, Why? we're all trying to, we're, we're trying to balance. Uh, tennis has some some unfortunate history here. You say she's 15 years old. She should be a high school sophomore. She should be worried about the next season of Stranger Things, not right. endorsements and playing obligations in China and all this right. uh, adult world and this transactional commercial world of sports. But She's really, really good, so it feels a little dishonest at the same time to underplay her because the talent is just 
absolutely undeniable. People think about like a Jennifer Capriati or somebody like that in this exactly. case, right? You know, you say at the end of the day, she's still a 15-year-old yeah. kid, and you don't want to shoulder her with so much pressure right. and the media obligations and sponsors, but at the same time, you see her perform, and it's the, the talent, the power, the speed, but also just the poise. Uh, unbelievable. And the ability in the in the match last night to sort of go down in, in the second set. You know, looked like she was cruising. She goes down in the second set. Exactly. Has some really tough things to sort of overcome and really guts it out in the third. Her ability to reset yes. is not becoming a, a 15-year-old. No. So, so, what, so what else or who else are you watching that you find really interesting this time around? Oh, man. I mean, the, the plot lines of tennis, the... the macro plot lines are you have these three guys on the men's side who are these three titans and then there's a long long escalator ride down to the next level can one of these other 125 players in the draw break through and break up this this oligopoly at the, at the top this Federer Nadal Djokovic who have right. won every major for the last three years and then on the women's side Serena Williams is Serena Williams she's going for a record tying 24th major she's also almost 38 years old and the women's field is absolutely wide open. So it's yeah. two very different. I mean, it's great. I think they complement each other well. But right now it's a wide open tour. And then the men is just concentration of power like we've never seen. Do you agree that we probably have the most promise in terms of American women that we've had in quite some time? It feels like there's, there's a surge coming up. Absolutely. I mean, again, tale of two, two tours. I mean, the, the men do not have this, uh, this, this yeah. wealth, but uh, it's an embarrassment of riches almost. Yeah. Taylor Townsend, uh, 23-year-old young American, serving volleys, African-American. I mean, she's a terrific story. She beat Simona Halep, who just won Wimbledon. That ordinarily is an A1 story, except there's also... Coco Goff and Madison Keys and right. Serena, of course. And Sloan uh, and everybody. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, on the women's side, American tennis is in a great place. Men's side, less so. All right. I'm going to talk football for a moment. Great. Andrew Luck. Oh, man. Okay. What, what, when you got the news, read the news, wrote about the news, what would you think? Um, I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often. There is you know, generational wealth that he's already achieved. You go through his list of injuries. Oh, there's a last three. You, imagine a 29-year-old saying to you, I've got more money than I'll ever need that my grandkids' grandkids' college tuition's paid for. I have a lacerated kidney. I've had shoulder problems. I've had you know, abdominal injuries. You, say, you know what? Stop doing your job. Right. Life's good. Why right. are you going to go back to work? Quit. And that's what he did. I'm surprised. I mean, I'm, I'm from Indiana, so I sort of have a special residence and know that organization a bit. I'm surprised this has become an issue. I'm surprised the fans booed. I'm surprised there is this hot take of this is a typical entitled millennial um, I think this is something the NFL is going to have to deal with more and more. As the wealth goes up and the physical toll and what we know about injuries and what we know about health and safety becomes more apparent, mm-hmm. I think this is going to happen more and more. Right. Well, so as the NFL sort of struggles in an almost existential way, we visited earlier with Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. He's out here. And one of the things I was reminded of, at least, is the NBA, meanwhile, is ascendant. Why? It's for a number of reasons. One is just sort of this this is a global sports league in a way that the NFL isn't. But also you don't have this physical dimension. I mean, basketball players get tired. They get knee injuries. But they don't worry about, you know, what their CAT scans are going to look like when they're 45 years old. And I've noticed just covering these sports, there is such a different climate in these locker rooms. In the NBA, it's, it's a much more joyous place. Players are trying to extend their careers. The NFL locker room, after a game, you see, you know, bloody bandages. It's like a you see guys, It's a match right. unit, exactly. Right. Guys who are, and, and what we know later, of course, is that there's a whole sort of pharmacology. You know, every, everyone's sort of taking pain relievers and pain pills. You don't have that 
in the NBA. And I, I also think that this whole global element, I think the NBA is very well suited to social media, digital media, and the internet age, but also the NBA is huge globally. I mean, the yeah. Nets are playing a game in China. I mean, the NFL does not travel. So the, the NFL is such a str- – I mean, we're, fi- we're migrating from tennis. But uh, the NFL is still just rock-solid property. Yep. The ratings are going up. The rights are where they are, but but you have this sort of existential cloud hovering yep. over the sport, and this unhappiness that you don't have in other sports. Final thoughts? You want to call tennis? How do I, do I want to? Uh, By the end, who who will ultimately be the winners here? Oh man, um, I I think Nadal actually will. Uh, Djokovic is the favorite on the men's side. Yep. I would I think I'm inclined to take Nadal, who a is appears healthy, which uh, is not always the case. And Djokovic's B is, shoulder. Djokovic looks has rough. the shoulder injury, and remember, Djokovic and Federer on the same half yep. of the draw. Nadal doesn't on the women's side. Why not? I'll go sentimental. I'll go with Serena. Yeah. Ah, yeah. why not? She's looking good. Looking good. Looking good. Absolutely. In the fourth round. Player. Surprised how just thirty seconds left. How crazy it is out here, or this is where tennis is right now. This is where tennis is. No, it's it's a great sporting event. You yeah. wish tennis were like this, honestly, fifty two weeks a year, but um, it's always chaotic. Yeah, John Wertheim, what a treat. We could spend all afternoon with you, but you have this job that you've got to go do. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> all right, always great to catch up with you. Have a great open. Uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. I'll turn on the radio. Yeah, but you let me drive. Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. And it is time for the drive to the close. No better place to do it than here at the U.S. Open, especially when one of our favorite guys stops by. He's apparently a big tennis fan. Of course we knew that because he's a buddy. David Dietz, <laughs> founder and chief investment officer of Point View Wealth Management, normally based out in Summit, New Jersey but here in Flushing Meadows, Queens today. All right, David, you've seen some good tennis. Let's start with the important stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So we just saw a great match by Serena um, and also Federer. So the legends are out there fighting off the younger core. Um, it was wonderful to see those matches. Uh, I've been coming out here since uh, the days when I was at Forest Hills. And now for the last 10 years, I've been lucky enough to be doing that and visiting with the great anchors from Bloomberg. You're very kind. And what an event it's become. Like we've been talking with the chief revenue officer. I mean, this has just become, you know, a place to, to have great food, to have kind of cool experiences. I mean, there's just so much here. Yeah, it's such a great venue, makes such a great day, and I'm lucky enough to be here with my daughter, Betsy, who made the trip from American University from D.C. all the way up to be with me. To Sounds be like with a the proud dentist. dad, yeah, I'm just saying. proud dad, for Rightfully sure. Rightfully so. All right, so as you, you know, talk back to the office, it's a slow Friday before Labor Day. But what's on the mind of the markets? Volumes light. We're essentially flat for all but intents up on and the purposes. Week. But up on the week. So what do you make of it? So it's the best week since back in June. And certainly, I think, a pause in the trade wars between China and, and the United States has kind of given a little bit of confidence. Of course, people are taking advantage of the fact that stocks are about 5% off their all-time highs. But today, of course, we're seeing a little slip 
garbage. We're going into a long three-day weekend. Three things to worry about. One, even though there's been that trade pause, t new tariffs are set to go into effect Saturday night. Um, they've called off the demonstrations in Hong Kong, but who knows whether it's really off. And, of course, we've right. got a very nice, very nasty hurricane bearing down on one of the biggest states in this country. So we're watching a number of things here. Well, and it's interesting. So what do you do or what's your advice to investors at this point? I mean, do you take advantage of some of those pullbacks in the markets to, to tap into a name that maybe you've been interested in? Or do you feel like we're going to see more selling? Where are we in this market cycle? Especially when I feel like on every day we talk a little bit about recession. We we talk about some a lot of significant concerns out there. Well, you know, I think it all comes down to your time horizon. It's hard to be bullish when you're going into September and October. Traditionally, some of those volatile months. And, of course, there's a parade of things to worry about. You've got to slow down overseas. Uh, you've got to slow down in China. Um, we just don't know where these trade wars are going. Having said that, the real inversion I'd love to tell people about today is not the one between the two-year and 10-year in terms of treasuries, but the one between the yield on the 30-year treasury and the yield on the S&P 500. Yeah. It's very we rare. We have been talking about this a lot. Our Dave Wilson has been pointing it out. You're talking about if you're looking for yield, the S&P 500 is more than what you're seeing in terms of treasuries. People ask me, can I dive in now? And I'm saying, look, on the t you're getting... Um, uh, a good half of 1% more yield on the S&P 500, the under 10-year Treasury. And historically, those yields of the stocks have gone up 5 to 10%. So if you've got a 10-year horizon, it strikes me as a very good bet. Yeah. If, if your bet is where we're going to be by Halloween, it's, it's not easy. All right, let's talk some names. You know we love talking names with you. Uh, you've got a theory, which I really want to explore briefly this idea of market leaders in out-of-favor groups. Tell us about some of those names. Well, you know, companies sometimes go away, but market sectors come back as the weak fall aside and, and then ultimately um, the macro conditions go into favor of, of the out-of-favor sector. So let's talk about healthcare, which has been very much out of favor this yeah. year as politicians on both sides of the aisle are grappling with how to, uh, you know, uh, keep healthcare costs down. And of course, in this political season, people are talking about fundamental change. So I'm going to the bluest chip of the healthcare stocks. I'm going with Pfizer, which has two things that are critical to success. One, the largest research and development pipeline, and second, the largest sale force. They're getting half of their revenues overseas, including great emerging markets exposure. And of course, now, because it's been pressure on these stocks, you're getting close to a 4% dividend on this blue chip. It's down 18%. The dividend, though, certainly helps and cushions it a little bit, but still. Still, but I think what happens is if industry conditions continue to stay tough, the opioid, opioid crisis uh, continues, some of the weaker players will fall by the wayside, and then I think that your strong blue chips will ultimately consolidate market share. I have to ask you, though, is there a pipeline there? Because, I mean, some of these drug companies, because of consolidation, have gotten so big in terms of their infrastructure, and I do wonder whether or not the pipeline's there to support that. Well, I think it is. I mean, they're, they're really fine-tuning their focus on, for example, oncology drugs and so forth. And what I like, too, is they just entered into a deal with Mylan where basically they're exiting their generic business. They want the high-margin um, things that are really going to make a difference in healthcare and mm -hmm. not stick with the low-margin generics. And so I think they're making a good move. Wells Fargo, WFC, is a name that we've talked to you about a lot. You are a persistent bull. You will not let it go. And I <laughs> want to ask you, is it because it's fallen so out of favor or because you think there's something fundamentally good there or both? Well, I mean, let's just start with the banking industry. Everyone hates it right now because they say, you know, 
with a flat yield curve, you can't make any right. profit between deposits and loans. But here is Wells Fargo sitting there with, I think, the best coast-to-coast franchise. They've got uh, a very laser-like focus on the consumer, on middle market banking. They've stayed clear of the capital markets and of overseas, which has caused a lot of problems. And also, as we get later and later in the cycle, they're known for having high-quality loan portfolios. They don't take a lot of risk. And if all of a sudden we do enter into a recession, bet on the Wells Fargo portfolio versus some of the others. And again, you're getting more than a 4% dividend yield. I was just going to say, and you've got a 4.4% or almost a 4.4% dividend yield. they got to find a CEO, though. Well, yeah, exactly. So people say, what could be the near-term callus? Just one announcement in terms of a blue-chip CEO, and it'll be up 10% before you finish your cup of coffee. 30 seconds left. ExxonMobil is also among them. Again, well, we know that the poor energy paths a pat patch has been one of the worst sectors for the last decade. Uh, banks don't want to lend any more money. Prices are way down. But again, it seems to me we're not going to get rid of our cars. We're not going to use renewables for our jets. Um, and ultimately, I think Exxon, which is the most diversified of all the players from upstream to refining, the largest refiner in the world. And again, you have over a 5% dividend yeah. yield while you wait it out. All right. David Deeds. What a treat to catch up with you here at the U.S. Open. Founder, president, chief investment officer, proud dad, Point View Wealth Management based on Summit, New Jersey, here with us in Queens today. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern only on Bloomberg Radio.